This is All India Radio. In the program Spotlight, now we bring you a discussion on ceasefire in Gaza Strip and beyond. The participants are Atul Aneja, strategic analyst and Manas Pratimbhuyan, journalist. We have seen very severe escalation of conflict between Hamas and Israel in the Gaza Strip for the last 11 days in which over 200 people were killed on the Palestinian side and around 12 people lost lives in Israel. Of course, both the sides reached a ceasefire agreement. We'll come to it later, but I'd like to know your views on what triggered the sudden escalation. Has Gaza been a tinderbox waiting to explode for quite some time? And do you think lack of dialogue between the two sides resulted in such an explosive situation? When you say that the lack of dialogue is a big impediment, you see, what's really happened is that Gaza is like a huge prison. It is fenced off, you know, from completely blockaded from the Israeli side. And I agree with you that it's like a tinderbox because it's sealed from one side, from the Israeli side. And then even on its southern border, which is with Egypt, again, it's called the Rafah border. Again, there is uh, there's hardly any outlet for that. So most of the supply lines are through these tunnels, which are actually quite big tunnels through which essential commodities, you know, from anything you can think of from day-to-day consumer goods to livestock is passed through these tunnels from the Egyptian side into Gaza. But essentially that causes a lot of hardship for the people of the Strip. So there, it is a tinderbox for a long time. Then coupled with that is the problem of lack of dialogue, which has not been taking place for quite some time. And then you have also the radicalization which has taken place in Gaza Strip which is that you have a Hamas group, which actually won the elections, I remember around 2007 or so, and uh, defeated uh, the Fatah, which is supposedly the more moderate group, which is, of course, in majority in the West Bank, which is the other part of the Palestinian territory. So you have the radicalization also coming into Gaza, and then you have had uh, armed support coming in from probably from Iran or from Hezbollah in the neighborhood. So you have radicalized armed population, which is under in sort of a siege and a tender box. So there's all the ingredients of a, of a, of a conflict. And that's why we see repeatedly that every few years you have this major conflagration which takes place. And I see really no end to it. Let's be changed back and there is some kind of a back channel, at least a dialogue between Israel and the Palestinians. The Israelis won't talk to the to Hamas because it is a declared as a terror group. So these are the various problems uh, which are taking place. But there is some creative way which is required to establish a dialogue and to ensure that there is some kind of a agreement which is reached, which does not, as a result of which we don't have this frequent flare-ups and the enormous loss of lives and suffering which takes place. Because, in fact, we have seen these uh, cycles of violence for nearly a century. As you know, in fact, the first large-scale violence between Palestinians and Jews took place in 1920. And since then, there were episodes of violence followed by peace negotiations. And the cycle continues, actually. Violence and then peace negotiations and again violence. So do you see a permanent resolution of the conflict in foreseeable future? Or the pattern will continue for some more times? I think, uh, you know, around the time, to cut a long story short, I agree with you that there's a long history of conflict and wars. In fact, full-scale wars which took place 56, 73, 49. So we had this series of full-fledged wars which were fought. And then there was a peace process which started somewhere in the middle. And finally, we had the land for peace formulation and agreement of a two-state solution. 
where you had on one side uh, Yitzhak Rabin, the former Prime Minister of Israel, who was actually assassinated by a Jewish radical on the Israeli side. And you had Yasser Arafat on the other side. So you had the basic structure of a peace deal, which are UN-backed and had this quartet of countries, major powers in the Security Council, which are backing this land for peace, two-state solution agreement. And I remember visiting the Palestinian territories in 2000 in Gaza. You know, there's a construction boom which is taking place in anticipation that, you know, we're going to have two states, which is Israel on one side and Palestine, and uh, living uh, in peace with each other. So the point I'm making is that we were almost there at one time. After that, things have gone south. So the basic formulation still remains. And there can be a structure which has come in. And Joe Biden actually has hinted on the two-state solution. Our Indian statement talked about uh, the two-state solution, the Sitriyamurti's intervention in the UN Security Council. So there is no other way but to go back to that UN-accepted formulation for a dialogue. But that has to be structured now because in the absence of a dialogue, there are a number of forces which have emerged, which were not captured in the earlier diplomacy. What do you do with something like Hamas? If you declare them a terror group, then no one talks to them. That's this intra-Palestinian dialogue which has to take place. And they have probably have to be more inclusive from the Palestinian side, which will serve as one of the parties for a dialogue. And I think there's also a need in Israel to get real because, you know, this is not really paying off. And permanently, you cannot have a stage of conflict because in this particular round itself, you found that the Hamas is firing rockets ad nauseum till the time we had the peace deal. So I'm not sure whether despite the disproportionate amount of weaponry and power which Israel has vis-a-vis Hamas, but, you know, the capacity to cause damage is there and you saw rockets calling Tel Aviv and one even probably in, in Jerusalem, which was never the case earlier. And you've had civilian casualties in Israel which is taking place. Plus there are forces behind them, which is Iran on one side and probably going to have Hezbollah coming on their side. So there is a need for Israeli side also to come to a settlement, of course, by making sure that its core security interests are safeguarded under a two-state formulation. So I think both sides will now have to move to come to a new situation because there is no other option. The escalation of violence and even rioting which took place among the Israeli Arabs and the Jewish uh, people, which were just nothing but communal riots which were triggered by this. So the whole situation is unsustainable now and it's time that each side moved the pieces to accommodate for a dialogue. I think the UN will have to play a role in it, but the bigger powers will have to play a major role. And I think the Americans, after Trump is gone, is looking in this direction. And the indication of that was clear when Joe Biden, you know, the number of phone calls he did talk to with uh, with Netanyahu, Israeli prime minister, till the time a ceasefire was brokered uh, this morning. The Americans will have to play a major role, as would have the UN. But the major thing are the interlocutors themselves, the parties themselves, which is a need for a strategic shift in thinking from the Israelis as well as from the Palestinian side. As you have rightly said, in fact, uh, the U.S. role in the region is increasing. So considering what has happened in the last 11 days and the reaction of the Gulf countries to the conflict, so do you think uh, there has been a decline of Arab power uh, that we have witnessed uh, during this period? And the American involvement in the region, particularly in reshaping the Israeli-Palestinian dispute, is increasingly becoming more evident. So what is your comment? The U.S. lost its trick under Donald Trump, went completely in favor of the Israelis. 
and that bad sense of balance was lost and i think uh, what biden is trying to do is to go back to traditional diplomacy and strike that balance where us can come back here all but i agree with you that that there was some kind of a vacuum with the us being going excessively on one side or not getting itself involved at the right time that's the one problem coming to the arabs now that configuration has changed you know at one time you had the egyptians playing a lead role as the established leader but over time that has got fractured you see the gulf countries which you mentioned about have actually recognized israel that may actually give them more room for maneuver frankly in the future to get both parties there but the point is that arab pressure if you talk about it was in a way fractured and to fill in the vacuum comes in uh, iran which has its own relationship to syria and others with first with syria with hamas and uh, that particular with the islamic jihad especially and not so much with hamas yeah are you essentially saying that in fact the abraham accords uh, between israel and several arab countries have actually pushed the palestinians uh, and hamas actually closer to iran it's a, a not necessarily so the radical wing of the palestinians definitely you know, hamas and islamic jihad would look at them for support that's a possibility with the abraham accord but frankly the gulf arabs because of the abraham accords and because they can talk to the israelis directly i think diplomatically there is more room now which has come in and the fact that the us iran relationship is set to improve with the coming revival of the nuclear deal or in a way coming back the rapprochement between iran and the west that is going to come through in, in all likelihood pretty soon so in a way the americans are also going to have a influence on the iranians you know when it comes uh, to the leverages agree with you that from the hamas perspective they would like to look at iran but as an alternative but iran itself is likely to change and that's the, the interesting part which is happening which has happened only recently this is a moving between iran and saudi arabia they have started talking with each other so we are going to have a situation where probably the hamas may not have that kind of uh, access to arms and ammunition and weapons from iran because that's moving in a different direction i think that's interesting to see the new dynamic which is coming in the dialogue which has started between the gulf arabs and the iranians and we'll probably see that also in yemen so the the middle east power equations are changing and there is more convergence coming in over there so the capacity to play divide and rule organizational hamas may not be as much now so frankly i come back to the original point that chances with biden coming here and the changes in the west asia power equations that we have a good chance now to restart the dialogue process which has been stalled for so long so let us see there are good signs that uh, a situation may be arising where the parties may be more inclined to accept diplomacy as the way forward to resolve the crisis mr anuj in the last 7 uh, 8 years we have seen our foreign policy priority towards the middle east actually we have strengthened our ties in so many countries uh, in the region including saudi arabia united arab emirates bahrain oman there has been a constant focus to improve our ties as we consider the region as uh, strategically very very important for india so in that context uh, so how do you see the india's uh, position on the conflict i think uh, india has adopted a very interesting position where as you said that you know we have interests on either side in the region so the statement is a perfect example of uh, a nuanced and a balanced approach which gets all the minefields uh, which may come in the way so for instance uh, the statement implicitly condemns the indiscriminate uh, 
rocket uh, launches by Hamas on Israel. So that goes in favor of Israel for sure. And that is very important because of a strategic or a strategic relation interdependence, I would say, with Israel, especially when it comes to security, intelligence sharing, etc. So that's a critical strategic relationship we have with Israel, and that had to be protected in this case. At the same time, India has deep uh, strategic ties, especially with the Gulf countries, for various reasons. Number one being we are dependent on the region for our energy supplies. And then we are uh, have uh, Indian guest workers, which remit about 27 to 30 billion dollars, if not more, by way of uh, remittances uh, from the Gulf region. So we also cannot take a position which would antagonize the Arab world, and especially now the Gulf Arabs. And therefore, India went on to support the two-state solution, and uh, you know, Palestinian rights are justifiable. That's essential. A, it is consistent with the past position. B, from the Palestinian perspective, again, we have been consistent in their support. And C, and most importantly, that it is very important for India that while it engages with Israel and continues with that strategic track, it also has a strategic track with the Gulf Arabs and both remain protected. I think the statement was very finely nuanced and worded, which would meet India's interests vis-a-vis all the constituencies in the region which I we also have to have a great relationship with Iran because without Iran, we can't get access into Afghanistan, which is another story by itself, which will come into play in the days and months to come. So I think overall, this the statement and position, we can congratulate ourselves in the way we have managed not to displease any of the constituents. Jerusalem has a special place for Indians and it houses uh, the Indian hospice. So how do you see the cultural connection between Jerusalem and India? Well, I think it's a very strong and very ancient connection. I mean, Jerusalem yeah. is the heart of the Abrahamic religion. And you see the connection of Abrahamic religion with India, which goes back much before the coming in, you know, Islam, which is one Abrahamic religion. But Christianity came much before the Syrian Christians, for example. It's all from that region. Jerusalem is the fount of that. We have very deep uh, cultural relationship with uh, Jerusalem. Thank you so very much for your in-depth insights into the conflict. Thank you, Mr. Amija. Thanks a lot. You were listening to a discussion on ceasefire in Gaza Strip and beyond. The participants were Atul Aneja, strategic analyst, and Manas Pratimbhuyan, journalist. This program was produced and presented by the News Services Division of All India Radio. You can listen to it on our mobile app, News on AIR. This program is also available on our website, newsonair.com. You may email your opinion about this program at airnstalks at gmail.com.